Let's pray. I want to dig right into the scriptures this morning and uh, let's ask God to meet us. Lord, we love your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's sweeter than honey, sweeter than anything we can taste. Lord, it's, it's more precious to us than gold and silver. Your word says that. And Lord, we don't always feel that, though. Would you help us now? Would you help me now? to see what we have in your word, to tremble with joy, with anticipation, with wonder that we have in our hands a book from the God, the creator of the universe. Teach us today, Lord, about who you are so we can trust you more and glorify you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, open up to Romans chapter 5. And if you need a Bible, we would love to bring you one that you could use this morning. So raise your hand. Don't be bashful. If you need a Bible to open up to Romans chapter 5, and the Bibles we're passing out is on page 942. So it's all turned there. We're not going to turn, we're not going to look at that right now, but I want you to be ready when we do get to that point in, in the teaching this morning. So Romans chapter 5, page 942, and the Bibles we're passing out. So this morning we're coming to the end of our four-week series, which we call Beholding God's Glory. And the reason we've been doing this series is because we believe, home group leaders, elders, we have the sense that God has some very significant things He wants us to be doing and accomplishing, and He has great things for us in 2012. But to do those, we're going to need to stand firm, and we're going to need to take action. So we've been memorizing Daniel 11.32. In fact, let's, let's just review it one more time here, okay? Daniel, with a lot of confidence now, one more time, Daniel 11:32. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Daniel 11:32. So keep reviewing that in your home groups and in your families. But notice what that verse says. The key issue for standing firm and taking action is what? Knowing God. The more deeply you know God, the more firm you will stand and the more bold you'll be in taking action. And so that's why we felt like we needed to take the first four weeks of this year and, and just sink our roots deep into what the scriptures teach about who God is and why he does what he does to, to explore his heart. So let's review what we've covered, okay? What have we learned about God these last weeks? Three weeks ago, we saw that God is holy, Remember from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3? Can we get it up there? Thanks, John. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God's holiness means that the whole earth is full of his glory. Remember we talked about what glory was? It's kind of a hard word to understand, but, but what helps me the most is to think glory is what you feel when something makes you say, wow, you've just seen, experienced, tasted glory, like you taste a hot fudge sundae, wow, or you see a, I don't know, like a Tesla sports car zipping by silently, right, electric, wow, or whatever it might be. Whenever, whenever something makes you say, wow, you just had a taste of glory, but God's glory fills the, the whole earth because his perfections set him infinitely above everything else that is. That's his holiness. I mean, just... Again, let me remind you, think about who God is. Only God has always been. Nothing else in the universe has always been. Everything else has a beginning. God is the only being who has always been. 
And only God is creator. Everything else in existence was created. Only God is creator. Only God is sovereign in control of everything. Everything else is under his control. Nothing else is sovereign. Only God is sovereign. Only God knows everything, past, present, and future, perfectly, consciously, all the time. God knows everything perfectly all the time. We just know a little slice of reality, tiny little slice of reality, imperfectly, right? God's knowledge is just awesome. And only God is a, a constantly flowing fountain of perfect goodness and love. Only God. So just think about God's perfections. So think about it like this. Think of things in this world that are glorious. Celebrities, billionaires, military might. Things are like, wow, okay. But the, the greatest glories in, on this earth compared to God's glory, God's perfections, God's holiness, the glories of this earth are like a grain of sand. Think that get right there in your hands, right there, a grain of sand, compared to the universe in terms of size. And that is an understatement. God's perfections set him infinitely above everything else it is. This is where we have to start in understanding God. If you don't see that God's perfection set him infinitely above everything else that is, you won't rightly understand God. It starts there with his holiness. His perfections set him infinitely above everything else that is. Then two weeks ago, we talked about God's righteousness. Remember that? The word righteous means you know, doing the right thing. It means doing what's fitting, doing what is in accord with reality. That, that's righteous. Okay, so... What does it mean for a God who is holy, whose perfection set him infinitely above everything else? What's the right thing for such a God to do? I mean, he looks at all of reality and he sees his perfections, his glory sets him infinitely above everything else. In light of that, the, the only right thing God can do is to do everything to display his glory, to do everything to uphold his glory to do everything to display his glory. That is the righteous thing for God to do. And that's exactly what God's word teaches. We've got Psalm 143, 11 up there. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Okay, so here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, God, it would be righteous for you to bring my soul out of trouble. Do you ever pray this way? He's saying, God... For you to bring my soul out of trouble now, it would be righteous. Why would it be righteous? Because it would display the glory of your name. Do you see that? God, it would be righteous for you to save me now because that would display your glory. Everybody knows it's not because I deserve it. They'll say, wow, God's awesome and glorious and loving. So God, it would be righteous for you to save me now because it will display the glory of your name. So from that verse and many others, my conclusion is that for God to be righteous means he does everything for the sake of upholding his name and displaying his glory, his greatness. Can I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago after that message, and, 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 and they're a little uncomfortable about that concept. And, and I was too when I first thought about it, and I would guess that maybe you are too. Be, 
But think about why you're uncomfortable. Isn't it because we don't like people who do everything they do to display their glory? Do you like anybody who does that? I think about Muhammad Ali. Remember this is maybe before your time, but he hear the whole thing, I am the greatest, right? I am the greatest. It was kind of funny, but it's like, uh, no, no, okay. But you know, or think about you know Snow White, right? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, right? The Wicked Witch. Did I say, okay, it's not Snow White, it's the Wicked Witch. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so we don't like that because she's not the fairest of them all. But see, the reason we don't like people doing everything they do to display their glory is because they are not all glorious. There is a higher glory they should be doing everything they do to display. God's glory, right? But now think about it. God has no higher glory he ought to be displaying. He is the highest glory. So it's completely righteous, glorious, beautiful, awesome for God to do everything that he does to display the glory of his name. Now, just a little side note here. This is the best news in the world for you. Because your highest joy is in seeing displays of God's glory. And so your highest joy and God's greatest passion meet in his glory. It is a big old win and a big old win. God is passionate to do what's going to bring you the most joy, beholding his glory, worshiping his glory. That's why we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What are we asking God to do? Show it. Display it. Magnify your glory. Because that's our highest joy. That's just a little little parenthesis. Okay, so there's no higher glory for God to display. So if God's going to be righteous, he will do everything that he does, 100%, everything he does to display his glory. And that's what he's done. He created this massive universe so that the heavens would be declaring the glory of God, Psalm chapter 8, right? I was just watching the little sliver of moon a couple nights ago, and what's the planet right next? Is it Venus right next to it? Just thinking, this is amazing. The heavens are declaring God is glorious, God is glorious, God is glorious. So God made this to declare his glory. It was righteous. And God created you and put you on this beautiful earth. And he gave you life and, and, a, and a body. Remember we talked about the clotting mechanism we have in our bodies last week. And he's given you a mind and he's, he's given you a personality and he's put you here and your purpose. He's created you, he's made you so that you can have the joy of beholding his glory. You can see him, you can love him, you can worship him. That's why you're here. That's why everybody's here. But what have we all done? Remember last week I used the illustration. Think of a, a, a yacht captain, a boat captain, who builds this beautiful luxury yacht. It's boat captain, beautiful luxury yacht. And he fits it out with state-of-the-art equipment and luxury cabins. And he stocks the galley with choice food and drink. And then he invites us to join him for free on a cruise to the Caribbean. That's what God's done for us. And what have we all done? We've mutinied, thrown the captain overboard. Because we wanted to be in control of the boat. We wanted to call the shots. We wanted to be in charge. We wanted to get the credit. That's sin. That's what we've all done. So how does God respond? We talked about this last week. God's wrath. Why is God wrathful? And here's this little picture. I could have made it a little better. Anyway, 
It starts with God's holiness. God's perfection set him infinitely above everything else that is. And so it's the righteous thing for God like that to do. He does everything to uphold and display the glory of his name. And so what does God do when something in reality honors his glory and affirms his glory and loves his glory? God delights in that and he rejoices to do that being good, right? But what does God do when there's a being who profanes his glory, who rebels, mutinies against his glory, who desecrates his glory? There is a deliberate passion. Slow, He's slow to anger, but there's a deliberate passion that rises in his heart. He's not losing his temper. A deliberate passion to punish. And it's right. Because in doing that, he's upholding and displaying the glory of his name. That's God's wrath. Holiness, righteousness, and wrath. And so it's a crucial truth for you to understand I don't, I don't know if you can really get the gospel if you don't understand this, but every single one of us has had in the, in the past, I, I trust you're saved and no longer, but you have in the past had the creator of the universe, the massive creator of the universe, with a deliberate passion in his heart to punish you. You need to feel that, or you won't get the gospel. Have you come to terms with that? That has been reality for you. And he was right to have that burning, deliberate passion. So that's what we've learned so far. God, holy, righteous, and wrath. And God's wrath is righteous, which means it has to be expressed. The punishment has to take place. Justice must be served. Now the beautiful thing about God... And his Holy Son, Jesus, and the work of the Holy Spirit is that the story doesn't stop there. The story of this book does not stop there. Okay. To see where the story goes, look at Romans chapter 5. This talks about God's love. And what we're going to see in a moment when I read through these verses is that God the Father is so loving, so compassionate towards us, so gracious that he was willing to take the wrath, his righteous wrath, that determined, deliberate passion to punish us, and all that wrath that that was, was rightfully headed towards me, he diverted it, and instead he poured his wrath out upon his only begotten Son, Jesus. Perfect, blameless God's Son. He punished Jesus in our place because he loves us that much. And Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to come, creator of the universe, be born as a man so that he could be nailed to a cross and have the Father's wrath be poured out upon him so that we could be saved. He died in our place. He was punished in our place for our sin. Look at Romans chapter 5. You see that. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. For while we were still weak, We were weak because we were so sinful that we did not want to turn to God. That's what our weakness was. At the right time, Christ died for the good, the the, the worthy, the righteous. No, no, no. He died for the ungodly. That'd be us. All of us, right? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love. He shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, not righteous, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified, washed clean from our sin, clothed with his perfect moral righteousness, justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 8, he shows his love. Verse 9, saves us from his wrath. Love, wrath. 8 and 9. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were mutineers, we were rebels, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So what is God's love? From that passage and many others, my understanding of God's love is that God has a passion. He is thrilled. He loves to do astonishing good, breathtaking good, just like mind-blowing good for completely unworthy and undeserving people. That's his love. He has his passion to, to care for unworthy and deserving people and to do amazing good for unworthy, undeserving people. It's like if God had a had a, a profile on Facebook or LinkedIn, it would say, love doing astonishing good for unworthy people, something like that. That's God's passion. That's what he loves to do. And the reason I, on your sheets, notice how big this, the love circle is? Because this most fully displays his glory. Wrath upholds his justice and his glory. His love busts out with glory. Right? His justice, is, his, his wrath upholds his glory. His love displays his glory even greater. Now let's dig a little deeper. Because I, I, I've misunderstood this, and I would guess maybe some of you have too. What exactly that now does God do for us in his love? What does he do? You just said he does amazing things, breathtakingly good things for undeserving people. What, what does he do? This is a really important question. I remember a few years ago, um, a dear woman who was going through severe trials, but it just broke my heart to hear what she was struggling with. She, she said, I thought God loved me. Have you ever said anything like that when you're going through trials? I, th- I thought God loved me. See, we've got to dig a little deeper here. Does God's love, does the fact that he does astonishing good for undeserving, unworthy people, does that mean that uh, when he really is loving you, you won't have any difficulties? Does his love mean that the more he loves you, the less problems you'll have? And when there's problems, I guess he's not loving me as much today. Is that what that means? Does God's love, is the good that he does for you to take the trials and difficulties out of your life? Think about this. What is the most loving thing God can do for you? What's the most loving thing God can do for you? Now, I want to try to give you a little illustration here. See if this works. All right. I have got here, in this bag, some matchbox cars. Thanks to the Garcias. Okay, we've got a a truck there. We've got a police car there. I just dumped these all out. I hope they're okay. Anyway. All right, so, oh, we've got some interesting cars here. All right, this is good. So, here's these matchbox cars. Let, let's let these little matchbox cars um, represent the joys and the pleasures that, that we have in this world. Okay, like maybe this one is health right here, and maybe this one over here is uh, 
you know, a promotion at your work. Maybe this one here is a vacation. Okay, here's a here's a car. All right, here's a here's a house. Here's clothes. Here's a marriage. Here's kids that are doing well. Okay, here's all these things that we. You know, here's exercise and entertainment and food. Okay, here's all these different things that we have that that we can get joy in in this world. Now, when God saves you, when God brings the power of His Spirit upon you and gives you repentance and faith, and you turn and you put your trust in Christ, and He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. At that moment, for the first time ever, you taste of the infinite joy that you were created to have, the joy of knowing God through Jesus. And his joy, that joy, makes the joys of this world look like matchbox cars compared to a dad who says, here's the keys to the Ferrari. Okay? Matchbox cars compared to, here's the keys to the Ferrari. Now, here's how this works. So now you're trusting Jesus. And there will be times where, where he, will, he will give you, like maybe give you a promotion. Or he may, he may give you health. But there's also times where he may, he may take your health, right? Or he may take your job, right? But what we have to understand is, is that when he, when he gives you these things, it's all for the sake of showing you all the more who he is so that you're turning to him and drinking of the fullest possible joy of knowing him. Or if he, if he takes some of these things, it's to remind you, these things are temporary. These things are not the infinite joy I was created for. So you'll turn all the more and seek your joy in God. And so the point is, when God gives, when God takes, everything that God does in our lives here, everything is to turn us to receive the highest possible joy of the Ferrari. You get that? And so the greatest thing, the most loving thing God could do for you, is to do everything necessary to bring you the greatest joy possible, which is the joy of knowing Him. That is the most loving thing God could do for you. So I don't want anybody here at Mercy Hill, if you lose your job, or if your your health becomes poor, or if your marriage is struggling, no one should conclude from that, I thought God loved me. I guess He doesn't love me. Because God doesn't say, because I love you, you won't have difficulties. God says, I swear on my own righteous glory, as you're trusting Jesus Christ, I will do everything necessary to bring you into the eternal joy of knowing me forever and ever and ever. And that can mean bringing good things. It can mean taking good things. You understand that? This is, this is so crucial. The most loving thing God could do for you is to say, these are all fine, but the Ferrari, okay? You can have the joy of knowing me. Now, you may think of this comparison, and you may think, you know, honestly, Pastor Steve, uh, to me, God is like the matchbox toys, and entertainment, or sex, or pizza, or the Super Bowl, that's like the Ferrari keys. I'm just not feeling that when you talk about the fact that the joy of God is that much greater. Appreciate you being honest, okay? And you know what? I have felt the same way at times too. There's times where I just get dull in my spirit and blind in my heart, and I think, like, you know, I, I tell you, my biggest issue is I, I want people to think I'm awesome. And I think I think that's what's going to fill me and make me make me satisfied. And I can start to think that that's the best thing around, okay? So here's what I want to encourage you to do: if if in your heart right now you're just not feeling that the joy of knowing God is really infinitely greater than every other joy, 
I promise you, if you will humble yourself before the Lord and ask Him, confess your sins, repent, just make sure you got that covered, and then ask Him, would you meet me? Would you reveal yourself to me? And then you open up the scriptures and you say, open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting, changing, transforming the soul. Change my soul. Psalm 43, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. If you will humble yourself before the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, acknowledging him as your Savior and Lord and treasure, and seek his face, he will give you a a taste of his glory, a taste of his love, a taste of his joy, and for the first time you will feel like you are the Ferrari. Those other things are like matchbox toys in comparison. So if you're not feeling that, don't just leave here thinking, yeah, I knew I was a lousy Christian. I knew. Listen, ask him. Come forward when we're done here. Let us pray for you. Let us pray for you. If you've never felt that, let us pray for you. But maybe it's just been that you've, like happens to me sometimes, you just get sucked into other things for a while. Let us pray for you. Have your home group pray for you. This is so, he wants to pour his presence out upon you. In your presence, like Brandon showed this morning, where did Brandon go? He's teaching junior high. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So what is the most loving thing God can do for you? It's to do everything necessary to give you the infinite joy of knowing him. And so that's what God's done. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, see, God loves you. He sent Jesus and he punished Jesus in your place. He poured his wrath out upon Jesus because he loves you. He wants to bring you the joy of knowing him. He loves you, so he changed your heart. He gave you faith. He gave you repentance. You would turn to him and receive the joy of knowing him. He poured the Holy Spirit out upon you so that you could experience the love of the Father and the, the glory of Jesus Christ and be filled with the joy of knowing him. He's broken the power of sin off of you. Progressively, you're growing that so that you can experience more and more of God. He's given you brothers and sisters that you can have a sweet camaraderie of following Jesus together and building each other up in the faith and bearing each other's burdens because in that context of community, oh, you see more of God's glory. He's given you ministry to do, making disciples, advancing the gospel, evangelism, because as you see someone come to faith, you see more of God's glory, you taste more of his joy. See, everything God does, he does he's done everything necessary to bring you the joy of knowing him. He, he will even give you on your deathbed all the grace and all the comfort and all the strength that you need and then he will raise you from the dead he will wipe away every tear from your eyes he will say well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the lord god has done and will do everything necessary to bring you into the joy of knowing him forever because he loves you that is your greatest joy his passion to display his glory and your highest joy meet in his glory. And he, because he loves you, the most loving thing he can do for you is to do everything necessary to bring you into the joy of knowing him. So here's what I want you to, to, to feel. Because of Jesus, through faith alone in Christ alone, at every moment of the day, the creator of the universe loves you. At every moment of every day, he is loving you. He's leading you with love. He's offering to strengthen you because of his love for you. He's orchestrating every event in your life by his love to bring you even more joy in him. He's ready to forgive you because of his love. He's ready to comfort you because of his love. He's ready to strengthen you because of his love. At every moment of every day because of Jesus, the creator of the universe loves you. He loves you. He loves you. We've got to see that. We've got to sense that. We've got to feel that. 
But I mean, if you're anything like me, there's times where you don't believe it. Anybody else ever have any times where you don't believe it? Okay, just me and Dave. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> Talk to us. Tell, tell Dave and me what's going on. But here's one of the reasons why I think we don't believe it from time to time. It's because we're not clear on what motivates God's love. We're not really clear on why God loves. What motivates it? See, here, here's why I think there's a problem. In the world, um, to have people love you, you've got to be good enough to have them love you, right? You've got to be deserving of their love for you. You've got to be worthy of their love for you. Isn't that how it works in the world? And so we can have that in the back of our minds thinking that's probably how it is with God as well. I've got to be good enough to have him love me. I've got to deserve his love for me. I've got to be worthy of his love for me. But we've just seen from Romans 5, remember Romans 5? We were weak, we were enemies, we were ungodly, we were sinners. We are completely unworthy. We will never be good enough. We in ourselves will never be worthy of his love for us. So we don't really understand how can God be so loving? What, what fuels his love? What motivates his love? What drives his love? I've got amazing news for you. The fuel that empowers God's love for you is astonishing fuel. It, it is all-powerful fuel, okay? And it is everlasting fuel, forever, Okay, so, so what is it? What is the fuel that empowers his love? I want you to look at these verses. There they are. Okay, great. So look at Psalm 23.3. He restores my soul. That's a loving act. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That's a loving act. Why does he do these things? For his name's sake. When he brings his power upon somebody who's as undeserving as me, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, changes my heart. So I'm loving him. I'm seeing him. I'm rejoicing in him. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing peace because of his promises. When he, when he, if he will take his power and change the heart of somebody as unworthy as me, you're not thinking, man, Steve Fuller's an amazingly great guy. No one's going to say that. It's like, God, you are amazingly, gloriously loving and merciful. So it's for his name's sake that he restores my soul and that he leads me in paths of righteousness. Psalm 31.3, you are my rock. And my fortress, for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. Why does God lovingly lead us and guide us? It's for his name's sake, to display his glory. Psalm 79.9, help us, O God of our salvation. That's a request for God's loving help. Why? For the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins. Why? For your name's sake. Psalm 106.8, yet he saved them. Why? It's a loving thing. Why did he do it? For his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven. Now, why would he forgive our sins? For his name's sake. So let me try to explain this with, with, with the picture. Okay, we've had God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's wrath, God's love. Can we get that? Okay, there's the picture right there. It all starts with God's holiness. I, I want you to understand why God loves you. Now, I know there's a sense in which we'll never fully understand it, and we never will. For eternity, we'll be exploring new dimensions of it. But we can understand enough of it to fight against the temptations when we're tempted to think he's, he doesn't love me anymore. I want you to understand the motivation, the power, the fuel behind God's love. It all starts with his holiness. His perfections... Set him infinitely above everything else it is. That's who God is. 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, his wow, his perfections. And then what's the righteous thing for a, a holy God to do? The righteous thing for a holy God to do is to do everything, to uphold and display the glory of his name. That's right. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's good news for us. And then when God sees something that desecrates his perfect holiness and profanes his name, deliberate, righteous wrath arises and a passion to punish. And it's right. It's, it's, it's just. But God is also loving. Because the greatest display, the highest display of his glory, the most beautiful exhibition of his heart and his mercy and his compassion and his goodness is to do astonishing good towards unworthy people. Holy, righteous, he has wrath, and he is love. And see, this motivation that stirs God to love, the power that fuels his love for you, is all-powerful because his passion for his name is all-powerful. And the fuel that empowers his love for you is everlasting because his passion for his name is everlasting. So the, the fuel that moves God to love is his passion for his name. It's all-powerful, it's everlasting, which means that as you're trusting Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe with all his heart and all his soul is going to be loving you forever. Now, any, any questions about that at this point? Does that make sense? Okay, if you have any, feel free. But uh, let, me, let me try this illustration out on you. Imagine that you're in the middle of, of the Sahara Desert of Sin, okay, which is where we've all been. Sahara Desert of Sin. Hot, sun beating down on you. You are going to die in the Sahara Desert of Sin unless somebody comes by and rescues you. All of a sudden, off in the distance, you see this little dust and this this Hummer drives up, okay? And on the side of this Hummer, it says, God's love. And God gets out and he says, my son bought this for you at the price of his blood. If you will trust him, if you will trust him, if you will will get in, then you will be driven out of the Sahara Desert of sin. You'll be set free from sin. You'll be led through every difficulty, You'll be strengthened through every weakness. You'll be comforted in every heartbreak. This hummer of my love will satisfy your heart when you're empty. I will strengthen you when you're weak. I will encourage you when you're discouraged. It won't be easy. There will be suffering. There will be difficulties. But we will get all the way through over those, through the desert, over those mountains. It will take you to the oasis of joy in my presence forever. You're thinking... This sounds pretty good. But you've got one question. You're a little embarrassed to ask, but you just think, how full is the gas tank? You just want to be sure, right? How full is the gas tank? What's in the gas tank? And God says, you don't need to worry about that. Okay? The fuel in this Hummer is infinitely powerful, and it is everlasting. It will completely take you there, and it will never, ever, ever stop. And so you say... All right, and you get in, okay? That's the picture I want you to have. Through trusting Jesus Christ, you you come into God's love. Romans 5 says that we stand in this grace through Jesus Christ. We stand in his grace. We stand in his love. You are in God's love through trusting Jesus Christ. Through faith alone in Christ alone, you are in God's love. So, when 
you sin, which we do and which we will. God says, I am still loving you. Remember, the fuel for my love for you is not your goodness. Do you get this? The fuel for God's love for you is not your goodness. The fuel for God's love is is his passion for his glorious name. Has his passion for his name been diminished by the fact that you've sinned? No. It's just burning like a nuclear, ready to go to work, okay? So when you've sinned, God looks at you and he says, I'm still loving you. Repent, confess, I'll cleanse you, I'll wash you, we'll get back on track. I'm still loving you. And so you say, okay, and you come to him. When you face trials, you think, oh, it's a trial. I, I must have done something wrong. I, I knew it. I've, I've, I, what did I do? Hun, did I sin yesterday? What did I do, right? Because, I mean, I've, I've done something wrong. That's why the trial is here, because if God loved me, he wouldn't bring me trials, would he? Does God bring us trials in his love? Oh, you've you got to get this. Yes, yes. So when, when trials come, you've got to think, okay, God is saying, I still love you. The, 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 the nuclear reactor of my love is still just, it's infinitely powerful, it's never going to stop. Turn to me, I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, I may deliver you, or I may just meet you with my presence so powerfully in it, Paul's son of the flesh, but I'm still loving you. 100% powerful love, even if you're going through a trial. When, when you feel alone, God says, I'm still loving you. Come fellowship with me. When you need to make decisions and you don't know, you know you're unsure about it, you need wisdom. God says, I'm still loving you. Ask me. When you're feeling weak spiritually, does God stop loving you when you feel weak spiritually? Oh, he'll love me when I kind of get back on track. I, I, maybe a good night's sleep will help me. That's what it'll take, you know, right? No, no, no. God's love does not go up and down depending on how you're feeling spiritually. You're feeling spirit. Uh, you're feeling weak. You're not. You're not much faith. Your faith is weak. He still is loving you. The power is working there. He says, "I still love you. I'm still loving you. I haven't stopped loving you. Turn to me. I will meet you. I will change your heart. I will strengthen you. Come to me as you are, and I will take care of you through faith alone in Christ alone. We can be in God's love." And his love is powered by a fuel source that is infinitely powerful and that is everlasting. That's why he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love in the book of Jeremiah. So here's the picture I want you to have. I would guess most all of us go through major portions of a day when you are ignorant of the fact that God is loving you at that moment. Think of how transforming it would be to realize that you know, tomorrow morning as you're commuting, you're on the 280, and the creator of the universe is passionately caring for you, loving you, orchestrating everything, ready to, ready to satisfy you, ready to guide you, ready to strengthen you, ready to encourage you, ready to work through you. The creator of the universe is looking upon you with love as you're making your commute. Think what a difference that would make if every time a trial came, you could know that the, that the creator of the universe who is loving and wise and a never-ceasing fountain of perfect love and goodness to all who trust him. He's orchestrating everything in my life to bring me, remember? Not necessarily these, but the Ferrari keys. Okay, remember? Okay. At every moment of every day, God is there loving you, ready to guide you, ready to strengthen you, ready to help you, ready to lead you, ready to encourage you, ready to comfort you. Do you understand this? God is always there. He's always like, 
ready, always. Oh, I love you. Why aren't they turning to me? I'm loving them right now. I'm ready to give them everything they need. Here I am. Look at the cross. Look at my love. It doesn't go up and down. Don't feel like you've got to get yourself together spiritually before you come to me. He's there. He's ready to meet you. He's ready to love you. He's ready to satisfy you. Turn to him. He'll meet you. God is constantly saying, because of Jesus, through faith in Jesus alone, I'm still loving you and I will never stop loving you. I will take care of everything you need. Now let's stand together. Here's how I want us to pray. I think there's some some here and and honestly your Ferrari is maybe a Ferrari. Okay? It's like, oh, that is my Ferrari, thank you. I'll take, just take the Ferrari. I'm not feeling it for God. Or it's health, or it's a promotion, or it's sex, or it's pizza. And these are all, those are all can be good things that God gives to us, but none of them are the joy of knowing God. If, it's, if you've never tasted of, of, of God in that way, having him pour his love into your heart, having him shine the light of Jesus' glory into your heart, having rivers of living water that satisfy your heart thirsts. These are all just how Jesus describes what what his people can experience. Would you not leave today before you let us pray for you? Um, And you know what? We, We all go through times where it's been a while. So we're all in this together. Not one person here feels that all the time. If you do, you're already in heaven. What are you doing here? Okay? All right? You don't. In heaven we will. Here we don't. And so we all need times where we're praying for each other. So if, if you, if it's been a while since you've experienced that, let us pray for you. Others of you, maybe the reason you've never experienced it, have you, have you ever really bent the knee before the Lord Jesus and repented of your sin and your independence and your waywardness? and receive Jesus into your life as your Savior, Lord, and treasure? Have you ever done that? I mean, like really from the heart? Because if you do, when you do, God will pour His Spirit out upon you, and you'll taste, you'll taste, you'll taste of His love. You'll see His glory. You'll drink of the living waters of the Holy Spirit, and you'll know that it's in His presence that there is fullness of joy. And if the most loving thing he does for me is to do everything so I get that, that's all I want. That's everything. Let us, in fact, let me, let me just, I want to lead you in prayer right now. If you have never bent the knee before Jesus, let me, let me just, here's what I would encourage you to pray. This has got to be from your own heart. It's not magic. It's not like repeat the words and everything, something will happen. It's, you've got to mean it. But let me encourage you to pray this right now. Creator God, just in the quietness of your heart, Creator God. I have mutinied against you. Forgive me. I see what you've done through your Holy Son, Jesus. I see that you poured wrath for sin upon him so that I could be forgiven. And I want to receive your Holy Son into my life right now as my Savior. I realize I can never be good enough. I don't need to be. Jesus was good enough. And he died in my place. I received Jesus as my Savior. I received Jesus as my Lord right now. I want to completely submit my life to your Holy Son and to his word and his will. Help me. I can't do that on my own. You will help me. 
You'll grow me. You'll change me. And I want to receive Jesus into my life as my heart-satisfying treasure right now. I want to turn away from the matchbox car-sized joys that I've been pursuing. And I want the Ferrari of beholding your glory and your majesty and your beauty. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me now. Show me your glory. Pour your love into my heart. Give me that precious gift of the Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name.